0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. The sermon series for the spring and summer is called Conversations. Each week we will take a topic and have members of our congregation talk about it in a pre-taped interview. These conversations are not scripted, and they form the foundation of the sermon being spoken about that day. I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening.
1: Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord.
0: All right, well, our second scripture reading today, it comes from Leviticus. So what we read, or what Adam read early on, that was what? What do we call that? That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here we are coming back. We're reading from Leviticus. Leviticus is uh, contains a lot of the laws that we find in the Old Testament. This is what it says about those laws: You shall keep all my statutes and all my ordinances and observe them, so that the land to which I bring you to settle in may not vomit you out. I love that line. I think that's great. You shall not follow the practices of the nation that I am driving out before you, because they did all these things, I abhorred them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God. I have separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore make a distinction between the clean and the unclean, and between the unclean bird and the clean. You Shall not bring abomination on yourselves by animal or by bird or by anything with which the ground teems, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the other peoples to be mine. This is the word of the Lord. So, with our sermon series, we're doing conversations, and of course, each week we begin with a conversation between various members of our congregation. And today, we are talking about the concept of rejecting society. And so, let's listen and see what the people from our congregation had to say today about this topic. Oh my God. Sacred. 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 There we go. (laughs) (laughs) What challenges have you faced being a Christian in our society?
2: Tough sell is um, how service would bring joy when it seems like buying things or hanging out with my friends or doing these other types of activities would make me happier now.
0: I think that being a high school student and just being around a whole bunch of challenges in terms of maintaining relationships and also maintaining your religion, I think um, it progressively becomes a little more difficult to keep the balance because one part of you is saying, I want to fit in like everybody else. And another part of you is saying, I have to be what God intended on me to do. And sometimes those um, clash.
3: One of the big challenges that that I face in our society, being a Christian in our society, is trying to follow what Jesus modeled. Because I think what he modeled was the, um, the ability to speak to the heart of people and at the same time challenge them, knowing that it would create a, a disruption in their society.
0: Can you think of a time when the values of your faith conflicted with the values of society?
3: Increasingly it seems like the number of activities that um, the kids are asked to be involved in on Sunday is growing more and more and more and it continues to get earlier, earlier, earlier in the day and that conflict with um, with church service and Sunday school and kingdom um, that gets to be a pretty significant conflict. When I was ministering in Texas and one of the sisters where um, I was living, uh, someone broke into the house and they murdered her and she was like 80-some years old. And it, it happened to be a teenager. Um, we knew who it was. We were able to find that out. And it threw me into a real um, inner conflictual thing with values, because Texas, of course, is the state with the most, um, uh, the death penalty where it's most most used. And it was such a struggle, um, do we go along then with death penalty and say, yeah, this is an exception or this is okay? And all of us were convicted by our Christian values and following Jesus, and we just knew that we had to speak to that, And so we actually accompanied the, the parents to the court, uh, to the hearings, and in, within the, the uh, trial process, we did plead for him not to get the death penalty.
0: Do you think there's a clear division between the sacred and the secular in our society? I'm not sure what's how you differentiate what's sacred and not sacred. Uh, God created the, the universe, created the world,
3: so in a sense it's all sacred. I don't believe that there's any um, clear division between secular and um, religious. If there were, it's, or if there is, I think that's created by humans, but not by God.
2: I think maybe from an outside perspective, it's, it's discreet. You go to church on Sunday, that, that makes you one of those types of people. I don't, therefore you probably are judging me. Uh, but I think if, if you are um, going to church in a community, you realize that there really isn't a great separation. The um, There's, what do they say, saints and sinners, all, all of us together here.
0: Do you think removing yourself from the influence of society would make you a better Christian?
3: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I think our job um, our job as Christians is to be in the community, um, living our lives as we are as, as Christians and helping to role model and demonstrate, and if appropriate, maybe shift some beliefs and thoughts. The meaning of the word Christian means, like Jesus, you get in it. And you do what you can in that situation and realize it's holy ground. That's where God will be.
2: First, it's hard to draw the line as far as kind of who's in and who's out. And, and <laughs> second, <laughs> second. Um, once you've drawn the line, you'd probably be surprised as who you drew the line around. Um, <laughs> so practically, it doesn't work. But the, I don't think that's our calling, is to, be, is to be separate. You want the support, but you uh, you have to live your life in the world.
3: As Pope Francis has said, everyone is included, and no one should be excluded, regardless of what religion they might be.
0: I, I think that would be a very dull life, wouldn't it? If you you are not a part of a part of the world. Yeah. Uh, I suppose if I wanted to be a monk, that would be a way <laughs> to to uh, be away from the world. But
3: boy, I would think that'd be awful
0: dull. Life is vibrant, and I'm pleased to be a part of it for all the warts it might have. So, I want to begin this morning by taking you back to a much simpler time. A time where everybody knew that the funniest show on television was a Jewish guy from Manhattan. A time where you had to Use a dial-up modem to get on the internet in order to check your email to see if the one other friend you knew had actually written to you who was online. A time where you had to literally physically walk into a music store to purchase the music that you wanted to buy. A time where everybody wanted to be from Chicago because the Bulls were the best team in basketball and everybody knew that Michael Jordan was the best player to ever step onto the basketball court or the basketball field, depending on who you ask about that one. (laughs) Some of you got that joke, sorry. (laughs) I don't usually bring politics into it, but that was too good. I couldn't let that one go. I'm talking about the 1990s, of course. Now, in the 1990s, I was a teenager. That's when I was growing up. And of course, that was very important to my formation as an individual. Because as a teenager, you all know that that's the time where you are... differentiating yourself from your parents. You're individuating at that point. And one of the ways that we do that when we're growing up is that we co-opt certain parts of the culture as our own. And this is particularly true when it comes to music. I think every teenager thinks that the music of their generation is the best, right? You look back on and you think, man, that was when music was good, right? Huh? Is that what you all think? Unless you grew up in the 80s. And if you grew up in the 80s, I feel bad for you, because that's a tough generation right there. <laughs> tough time for music. It was like the 60s and the 70s, really good, and then the 80s was this weird transition period, and then they got it back in the 90s. Now, <laughs> So I grew up in the 90s, of course. I was part of the movement of people who grew up with a lot of grunge rock, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, all these different bands. But for me, where I found my salvation with music was in this relatively new genre, in fact it was totally new for the time, and it was referred to as new metal New Nu-metal, dash Now new metal is pretty much intolerable to most people, and it's hard to describe to somebody who's never heard it before, but basically it's a blend of like heavy metal and rap, but... The vocals are considered to be blues because of the emotionally negative content of the lyrics. Basically, it's just a lot of screaming, a lot of cursing. It's, it's perfect for an angry, brooding teenager, right? So my favorite band from this genre was called Korn. That's what they look like right there. It's exactly the kind of people that your parents are hoping that you're going to idolize and look up to as role models, Right? I'm sure my mother was thrilled that these were the guys who I was really looking to. And so I loved their music. From the moment that I heard their first album, I was infatuated with their songs. Their music was able to put into words what I felt in my heart. Their music was angry, pulsating, raw. And it stabbed at the core of how I perceived myself as an individual. As an outsider who was misunderstood and who, underneath it all, felt rage that the world was so full of suffering. But their music wasn't just anger for the sake of anger. I was drawn to their music because they talked about things that were very taboo. That I'd never really heard anybody talk about before. The guy in the middle, the guy wearing the Adidas outfit, his name is Jonathan Davis. He was molested by his neighbor when he was a boy. And he actually brings this baggage into his music. He talks about this in his songs. And he has this one song where he talks about going to his mother, telling her about what happened to him, and how she essentially just stared at him with a dismissive stare. She just looked at him. Another song, he talks about the evils of pornography by singing about nursery rhymes. Now, I know that might not sound like, how do those two things go together? But... Let me explain it. It's actually quite brilliant in some ways. So, a nursery rhyme on the outside of it is quite harmless, is it not? Kids sing it all the time. But if you dig beneath the surface, many nursery rhymes have a lot of tragedy behind them. So, let's take London Bridge is Falling Down. Let's sing it together. You all know it. Let's sing it. (laughs) London Bridge is Falling Down, Falling Down, Falling Down. London Bridge is Falling Down, My Fair Lady. Right? Kids sing it. Now, what's that about? That is about the Nazi bombing of London during World War II. That's what that's talking about. Now, in the same way, people look at pornography as being benign. And I know that might sound crazy inside the church. But outside of the church, I would say most of the world looks at pornography as being rather harmless and benign. But unfortunately, it does tend to corrupt and distort the minds of the people who view it. And such was the case with Jonathan Davis's neighbor. He looked at pornography and that did influence some of the things that he did to Jonathan. Now, I know that this type of music is not exactly appealing to the broad population. For most people, when you listen to music, you're not listening to music for these types of things. You're listening to music that's gonna lift you up and make you happy, but not me. I wanted to listen to music that really got at the core of my pain, my sorrow, and my struggle with evil in the world. And they did that for me in a way that nobody else ever did. In a sense, I look at them and I think that they were kind of like the therapy that got me through the angst of my teen years. And so they held this very special place in my heart. Then I go to college. And in college, I start studying Christianity. And at first, it's just this intellectual curiosity. And eventually, it becomes more than that. And I start studying the books of the Bible very intensely and I come to realize that God has certain expectations for the people who choose to follow God. And there's this interesting juxtaposition where God kind of separates out the people who choose to follow God versus those who don't. And we read about this in the Leviticus text. Let's take another look at it real quick. It says, You shall keep all my statutes and all my ordinances and observe them. Those are what? Those are the, the laws, right? You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the other peoples to be mine. So what, it, what God is saying here is that when you are serious, you follow the rules I've laid out for you in the Bible. And by following those rules, it separates you from other people. Because not everybody's going to live like this, right? You're not going to follow the 613 laws that you find in the Old Testament. And so there's a very specific type of person who does that. And in doing that, it also makes you holy. It makes you be deemed holy. Now, what does it mean to be holy? It means you are set apart for a special purpose. That's all that word means. To be set apart for a special purpose. In the modern church, we refer to this division as the sacred versus the secular sacred versus secular now the sacred is anything that is connected to god and the secular is anything that is apart from god or it denotes having no religious or spiritual basis so christians they are very concerned with the difference between the sacred and the secular Because for Christians, we want to embrace the sacred, and we want to avoid the secular. Why? Because God calls us to be holy, and therefore you need to do the things that are pleasing to God. And so you will see that a lot of Christians spend a great deal of time trying to determine what God would deem to be sacred versus what God deems to be secular. So you can imagine my dismay when I'm in the middle of my Bible study, And all of these guys tell me, well, if you really are serious about following God, then you're going to have to cut corn out of your life because corn is not pleasing to God. Hard for me to argue with them on that one, given that the lyrics are filled with rage and hate. But you know, that band, they really sustained me through some tough times in my life. And so they just want me to let all that go. And so I said, well, why don't you give me some alternatives and things I can listen to? And so they gave me a mixed CD of contemporary Christian music, which I made it through exactly one time (laughs) before I realized this might be pleasing to God, but not pleasing to my ears. And so I protested. And I said, do I really have to get rid of this? And they said, yes, if you are serious, you have to cut out those secular influences in your life if you want to grow in holiness and in your relationship with God. If you read closely in the New Testament, you will find that there is this debate going on among the members of the early Christian church. And this debate is whether Christians should remove themselves from society or should they remain in the world. By removing themselves, they can focus on growing in their faith. Remaining in the world, it becomes much harder. And... If you've ever studied the arguments of people who say, let's get out of the world, they have good reasons for their beliefs. If you've ever really studied what Jesus wants us to do, how we're supposed to live, it's not exactly easy what he's asking us to do. And this difficulty is compounded by the fact that we live in a society where there's temptation all around us. And there's a lot of distractions that prevent us From being able to serve God properly. So rather than deal with all those distractions. A lot of people say hey let's go away. Let's get away from the evils of the world. And we can raise our families in environments where we won't have to deal with all those things. And so, from the earliest time that Christianity started, there were whole communities that would go off on their own and they would try to live out the precepts of the gospel. These communities, they planted the seeds for the monks and the nuns that would be so important for Christianity throughout the years. That's part of the reason why we interviewed two nuns, Sister Carrie, Sister Joanne. We wanted to ask them, how do you feel about being in the world? Because classically, monks and nuns, right, as John Sondereger said, they just kind of go away. They're not part of the world. But it was interesting what they had to say, wasn't it? How they are part of the world. How they're in the middle of it. Today, if you're looking around, the people who are very, very good at kind of separating themselves off, Mormons. How many of you got Mormon friends? Okay, so Mormons, if you go down to like Salt Lake City in Utah, it's like a little Mormon utopia in this area, right? Like, they have created their whole society around what it means to be Mormon. And so if you're a Mormon parent, you don't have to worry about your kid going out to a music store and buying a Korn album. You want to know why you don't have to worry about it? Because the Mormon music stores that you frequent aren't going to carry it. And so you don't have to worry about your kids being corrupted by lyrics to which they've never been exposed. And so there's a plus side to this, right? If you create your own little community, you can prevent a lot of these societal ills that corrupt our communities, right, from leaking into your children and your family's lives. But with every plus, there's a minus. And of course, the counter argument to this is what you heard a lot of people saying in the video, which is that God doesn't exactly want us to be separate from the world, but to be enmeshed Within it, I was kind of surprised that everybody felt that way when we interviewed them in the video. They all said, yeah, we need to be in the middle of it. And of course, who gives us this example? Jesus does. Jesus, he didn't get his disciples together. He wasn't like, okay, we got 12 guys. Let's go into the desert and we're done. We're going to go out here and we're going to just finish it off out here. No, he went to communities and he asked them and he would say, what do you need me to do? And he'd be in the middle of these people who could very much have corrupted his faith. These are not like the gold star kids, right? The kids who everybody loves. He's with prostitutes. He's with lepers. He's with Gentiles and collectors People who nobody wants to be around. These are the bad kids from the perspective of the Jews of the time. And so he's spending these ta- his time with these people and he's changing their lives. And so what he does through his example is he's trying to show us that maybe there's not quite as much a distinction as we might like to make out between the sacred and the secular. And this becomes very clear in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now in this parable, let's recap it. We just read it right here. But what happens is, there's a guy who gets beaten. He's left for dead on the side of the road. And there's three people who walk by, right? So the first guy is a Jewish priest. He walks by. Does he help the good Samaritan? No. He goes and walks by on the other side of the road. He sees the guy and he just keeps walking. Second guy to walk by is a Levite. Now the Levites, just in case you're wondering what they are, a Levite is part of the tribe that's responsible for administering the sacrifices in the temple. That's very important. It's what they would do. It's what they did during Jesus' time. That guy, what does he do? Does he help the good Samaritan? No. He keeps walking by. He's on the other side of the road. Last person, or excuse me, not the good Samaritan. Does he help the guy dying on the side of the road? The last person is a guy from Samaria. He walks by. Does he help him? Yes. So the Samaritan, he picks up the guy. He takes him to an inn. He says, here, care for this guy and whatever it costs you, I will pay whatever it costs to get this guy restored to health." To understand this parable, you have to understand the difference between these three men. So the first two guys, the priest and the Levite, these are people who have pure Jewish blood. They are from pure Jewish backgrounds, these guys. In Jerusalem, they are considered to be some of the holiest people around because their families never intermarried with anybody outside of the Jewish faith. Now, why does that make them holy? It makes them holy because if you go back, remember, you shall keep all my ordinances, right, all the things that I tell you, all my commands. Well, one of those 613 commandments is that you are not supposed to marry outside of the tribes of Israel. You're not supposed to marry anybody who's not Jewish is really what it comes down to. And those guys, the priests and the Levite, they come from families that never did that. So they are pure. They are holy. But then you get the Samaritan. Now, Samaria is 35 miles away from Jerusalem. That's the distance. It's not very far away. But yet these people, they intermarried with all kinds of people from all over the place. And so they were deemed to be less holy because they had interbred with people outside the Jewish faith. So what's the point of this parable? The point of this parable is to redefine what it means to be holy. What makes you holy is not who you are or where you come from, but how you treat people who are in need. So what you have to realize is that when he told this parable, the people would have been shocked to hear that the priest and the Levite walked by the guy who was dying on the side of the road. That would be like me telling you the parable in a modern context if I said, So, Mother Teresa was walking down the road, she saw a guy on the side of the road, and she kept on walking. Now, you would sit there and say, why would she keep on walking? She wouldn't do that, right? That's what you'd be thinking. It's the same with the priests and Levi. These were good people. The whole point is not to vilify them. They were good people. The point is to take you out of your particular context and to bring shock into it. And then if I were to continue to tell her, I would say, and then after Mother Teresa walked by, Timothy McVeigh or Osama Bin Laden came over and picked this guy up off the side of the road and cared for him. So the whole point is to illustrate that... Holiness is something that can be applied to anyone. All that matters is are you willing to show God's love to those who are in need, regardless of who they are? And guess what? That makes you holy. But if you're living off on your own in these little sequestered communities, you can't really do that, can you? You might avoid temptation, but you're not going to be able to bring healing to the world. That story that Sister Carrie told, did you catch all of that? What was going on with that? So she's down in Texas, and this kid, this teenager, comes in and murders another one of the nuns in her convent there, 86 years old. And they have, in the midst of this, the opportunity to go to court and to essentially hold this kid up and say, don't put him to death. That's against our values. We don't want that. Now, if they lived apart from the world in the middle of nowhere, this kid would have never done that to that woman. That's for sure. But they did live in the world. They chose to do that. And in doing so, they had an opportunity to bring healing to that family and to that boy. I think Jesus understood That the world will always be bigger than the safety of our communities. And this is why Jesus would go into people's lives and he would say, What do you need me to do for you now? How can I help you? And then when he would help them, a lot of times what would they say? They would say, Can I come with you, Jesus? And sometimes he would say, Sure. But most of the time he would say, You need to stay here. Stay here with your community. Now that you've been healed, bring that healing to others. So if Jesus is our example, do we believe that? That Jesus is the example of how we should live? Then what he's telling us is that it's the secular that makes us holy. By being in the world and by serving those who are struggling, suffering, hurting, you create these sacred moments. So this division between the sacred and the secular, it doesn't exist The sacred and the secular are intimately connected with one another. You can't have one without the other. Indeed, I believe that the sacred is the unveiling of God's love in the secular. I want to say that again. The sacred is the unveiling of God's love in the secular. Which brings me back to the corn question. Can I listen to corn and still be a Christian? Now, the answer to that question is like this. If listening to corn prevents me from bringing God's love to those who are hurting, struggling, and suffering the world, then yes, corn has to go. However, if by listening to corn, it creates these moments of sacredness for those who are hurting, then corn can stay. And I want to end this morning by telling you a story of how listening to corn actually brought a moment of sacredness to my life. So when I was a youth director back in Princeton, I was working for this Methodist church, and we were having one of these end-of-the-year pool party-type things, and all these kids came out. I told them all to bring their friends, and so the whole thing's over with, and there's this kid who's left over, and he was a visitor. I didn't know who he was, and he needed a ride home. So I said, Come on, get in my car. We'll drive. And so... We're driving him home, and he starts thumbing through my CD collection. And he comes to my corn CDs, and he's like, I love this band. And he takes it out, and he puts it in my CD player, and he starts playing some songs. And we get to this one song, and I turn to him, and I say, you do know that this song is about Jonathan Davis being molested as a kid, don't you? And this, he looks at me, and he says, yeah, I know. That happened to me when I was young, too. Now, I would not met this kid before this moment. And so I kind of let that go for a second. And then eventually I asked him, I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, very much like Jonathan Davis, my neighbor had targeted me. Now, I was a director at this point, so I didn't really know what to do. So I go back to the church the next day, and I tell the pastors there about the situation. And eventually they're able to find out who this kid is. They talk to his parents, and they get him into therapy. This kid was only at my youth group like twice before his parents moved on, they they moved somewhere else. But as a result of this, I I followed up a couple months later and I found out that the therapists had talked to them, they were able to verify what happened. They went and they pressed charges against this guy and they found out that this kid was not the only one who he had targeted, sadly. But as a result of that, they ended up putting this guy in prison for a number of years. Now if I had listened to the guys in my Bible study, if I had gotten rid of all my CDs, then I don't think that moment would have happened. Because it was such a narrow window of time where he just happened to get in my car with me, he happened to be thumbing through, and he saw this stuff. And because of that, we had this connection, and he was willing to tell me about what happened in his life, and it caused this cascade of events to occur afterwards. Whereas if I had listened to them and gotten rid of that, none of that would have occurred. And so I can stand up here and tell you with all truthfulness that I don't think corn is at all sacred in the most traditional sense of the term. But listening to them did bring this moment of sacredness to my life and to the life of this young man. And so I can't sit here and say that I know that there is a distinction between these two things, but I do know that God works in mysterious ways. And for that, I will say, amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.